0: Pod news Flash with Lucy Green. Hi, welcome to the January 2023 edition of the Beaver Pod news Flash. I'm just going to run through some of the highlights of the equine veterinary profession news and those from the equestrian industry um, to keep you all up to date with what's been going on. So this month, the BHA have announced some last-minute changes to the whip rules in UK horse racing. The BHA um, have insisted that the other changes that were proposed through the review published last summer will still be implemented. However, there's been a last minute change um, that's been met with some contention, saying that it undermines the whole review process that proposed them in the first place. It comes after jockeys spoke out against the planned requirement for them to use the whip in the backhand position only, where it's thought to be more difficult to strike the horse with excessive force. That measure has now been dropped. Penalties, including disqualification for the most serious breaches, will be implemented from early February in the National Hunt Code and late March on the flat, following bedding-in periods. The BHA officials argued that they were duty-bound to consider the jockey's views, despite expressing frustration at their late intervention in the debate. But the Progressive Veterinary Association said it considers it's considers shameful and unacceptable the position of the BHA to continue to allow jockeys to beat horses with forehand strikes of the whip in the name of entertainment for an ever declining sector of the population. While the BVA has also reiterated that it does not support their use for encouragement in racing, and World's Horse Welfare Chief Executive Rowley Owers, a member of the review panel, said he was dismayed by the announcement. He views as a significant step backwards. For changes to be made at the 11th hour is deeply unfortunate, not least because it lacks transparency and therefore erodes trust. But BHA board chairperson Joe Samuarez-Smith insisted the new measures were consistent with the aim of making whip use visibly more palatable to the public. Also in racing, new equine influenza vaccination rules came into effect on the 1st of January following a 12-month transition period to help trainers adjust to the changes. However, they extended the transition period until Sunday the 15th of January because they could see that a large number of horses were not currently eligible to race either because they had not yet received a boost of vaccination or had not been uploaded and verified on the Weatherbees vaccination app. So following engagement with trainers and the National Trainers Federation, they tried to help. The new requirements are that all horses to be vaccinated in line with the new primary course and booster vaccination scheduled intervals, which are a shortened V1 to V2, which is from 21 to 92 days down to 21 to 60 days. And the V2, V3 interval has been reduced slightly, but also brought closer to the V1 by changing it from 150 to 215 down to 120 to 180 days, meaning horses' primary courses can ultimately be completed a bit quicker than previously and that there is less variation due to the smaller windows boosters now need to be no more than six months apart with the overall impact being horses protective antibody levels should remain higher throughout their racing life when they're of course at most risk of contracting flu please note that vaccinations must have been administered uploaded to the Weatherby's app and verified by veterinary surgeons before the close of entries for a race Any horse that does not meet the updated vaccine requirements for races from the 15th of January will be ineligible to run and required to start a new primary course. This will mean a stand down period of at least 27 days, which is 21 days for the two primary vaccines, then a further six days clear before the day of the race. It is noted that veterinary surgeons now receive two daily email reminders, one at 8am and the second at 4pm, to notify them about any outstanding vaccinations on the app. Trainers also now receive email reminders following the vaccination upload, again, the first at 8am and another 24 hours later. And then a reminder every 48 hours alerting you to any vaccinations awaiting veterinary sign off. There is a user guide for the vaccination app, so please do go ahead and have a look at it. And then in terms of flu vaccines, there's been an update on the 13th of January, with some protect flu um, has recently been released into the market, um, but has rapidly left the wholesalers. There will be no more protect flu available until the next delivery to the UK, which is in mid-March. There's enough vaccine to meet demand. However, the Vatera that has been imported from the US expires in mid-March and will not be sold beyond the end of January. Veterinary practices that rely on Boring and Ingelheim vaccines need to act now to look at how much ProTech they have in stock and how much they're going to need between now and the middle of March. Calculate any shortfall um, and buy bivoterra ASAP. Please also consider previous advice that tetanus vaccines should be used sparingly. If you encounter issues, there is clear and invaluable guidance on what to do and how to help owners on the Beaver website. Still on the subject of vaccines, following Zoetis' announcement in December that our only licensed EVA vaccine in the UK and EU, which is Equip Artevac, will suffer supply issues after a current batch that expires on the 29th of March. There's going to be issues until a new batch is available at the end of September. That's a gap of over six months. So while there's still plentiful supply of the current batch, stallions should be getting vaccinated before the 29th of March. This will present an issue, unfortunately, with giving the required six-month boosters after that point, which will be due before the next batch is available, meaning stallions will lapse. And as EVA is a notifiable disease in the UK under the Equine Viral Arteritis Order 1995, And under this legislation, seropositive stallions with lapsed vaccinations need to demonstrate that they have not been infected during a period when they were considered susceptible, i.e. when they were outside of the data sheet recommendations, i.e. lapsed. Disease freedom needs to be demonstrated, ideally prior to revaccination. The Thoroughbred Breeders Association, the TBA, have offered guidance to its members and have presented a strategy to manage thoroughbred stallions and teasers which may not be vaccinated when the, vax- when the boosters are due. They are again recommending a practical means by which stallions and teasers can be monitored by antibody analysis of stored blood samples, the same approach that was adopted in 2018 when Act last had supply issues. Many thoroughbred stallions will be vaccinated in January ahead of the breeding season and six months later. However, Beaver and the wider industry appreciates that sports horse stallions may be routinely vaccinated at different times of year to thoroughbreds. And therefore, we recommend that veterinary surgeons looking after a quip artifact vaccinated sports horse stallions should be uh, should consider a discussion of this with their clients and the stallions owners. As there should be no issues in obtaining vaccine up to the date of expiry of the current batch of Equip Artivac, which again is the 29th of March, it should be possible to bring vaccinations forward to and before the 29th of March, making them next due for booster by the 29th of September. Stallions due imminently could be vaccinated and then potentially revaccinated vaccinated early up to and before the 29th of March, making them also due by the 29th of September. If the worst case scenario happens and equip artifact is not available by the 29th of September, then one could plan to collect a semen sample from the stallion and submit for EAV virus isolation and or PCR to demonstrate the stallion is not a carrier prior to restarting vaccination. One must also, however, give consideration to the fact that the stallion will have been outside of the datasheet recommendations and may therefore have been susceptible to infection. As such, a risk assessment should be performed to determine if additional sampling above and beyond a single semen test is necessary as per the guidance given in Crabtree and Newton 2020. Clients should be reminded of the increased risk of contracting the infection through international travel and breeding activities in circumstances where biosecurity measures are either minimal or inadequate with respect to EVA. For example, where potential in-contacts are not screened for EVA and or are not of equivalent health status. Such a retrospective approach with semen sampling may be relatively simple for some stallions to achieve. However, it's acknowledged that this may not be straightforward for some stallions that are either not trained for semen collection or that need to visit a semen collection centre for collection, noting that some of these centres obviously require a stallion to demonstrate freedom from EVA prior to uh, entering in the first place. Consequently, one could alternatively follow the prospective approach and monitor antibody levels as per the TBA's guidance for thoroughbred stallions and teasers. The strategy is to collect a blood sample at around two to three weeks after the stallion receives their booster dose of Equipartivact, which will be before the 29th or up to the 29th of March, by when peak antibody levels from vaccination should be present. This sample should be sent by the vet accompanied by the special submission form specifically designed for this purpose for storage and later testing by Rostell's Laboratories New Market. A further blood sample should be taken at the time that the stallion receives their next equip artifact booster when the new batch of vaccine is available, with this sample also sent to Rostell's Laboratories for pairing up with the previous sample and testing together as necessary. DEFRA agreed this approach in 2018 and the industry are hopeful that it will again be acceptable. Should there be any issues, it may be necessary to revert to semen testing. Strangles news. DEFRA has launched its new intramuscular strangles vaccine, StrangVac, which has been in development for over 25 years. It satisfies the DIVA criteria in that it doesn't contain live bacteria or bacterial DNA, so will will not trigger positive culture or PCR tests, which is a key feature in outbreak management. It can be given to foals from five months old and requires two primary injections four weeks apart. Then horses which are considered high risk, including livery yards and those going to competitions, should be given a first booster after two months. Then subsequent boosters should be given every six months. Beaver's Sustainability Working Group has published an excellent article this month on the value of dung beetles. It discusses these less well-known victims of widespread and uncontrolled use of antelmintics, aside from the harm caused to both horses and the environment and the pressure placed on development of resistance. The UK Parliament has said that residues of veterinary medicines such as anthelmintics and ectoparasitides are a contributing factor to the decline in insect populations and diversity in the UK, leading to some species being extinct. For instance, after oral administration of ivermectin and moxidectin, the peak excretion in horses feces occurs after 2 to 3 days for both drugs. For ivermectin, approximately 90% is excreted within four days of worming, whereas it takes twice as long for moxidectin. Dung beetles live and feed upon animal dung and in doing so play a significant role in helping modern grazing systems. As they break down dung, they provide a number of other free services which positively impact soil quality, livestock management and greenhouse gases. To address and improve the use of almintics, the equine industry has recently launched two initiatives, Project Worms and the Pan Industry Canter Group, initiated by the Veterinary Medicines Directorate. Together, these are acting to unify recommendations and implement best practices to find solutions against resistance and the unwanted impact on off-target species. In the charity world, World Horse Welfare has released another Welfare Wednesdays webinar that has covered cutting costs, not care, and another one promoting positive equine well-being and behaviour through diet. These are aimed at horse owners and the recordings are available free on YouTube. So please direct your clients to these valuable resources. The next webinar will look at how owners can use targeted parasite control to take best care of their horses and the environment and will take place on Wednesday, the 1st of February at 7pm. Meanwhile, Red Wings has announced that it's rehomed a record number of horses in 2022, with 154 finding new homes and 109 offered a home within the sanctuary. The Red Wings field officers intervened in 175 welfare cases over the year and ultimately improved the conditions for 622 horses. It's worth considering pointing prospective owners in the direction of the rehoming centres as there are many suitable ponies there for both companions, ridden and non-ridden, and unbacked projects that can be rehomed on a long-term loan agreement. The charities offer considerable support to those owners and it can be a very feasible way for people to consider horse ownership. And then a reminder that the National Equine Forum tickets are on sale. The 31st National Equine Forum takes place on Thursday the 2nd of March at the Institution of Mechanical Engineers in London. The forum will be a hybrid event, meaning delegates can attend in person or remotely via a live stream. And the programme will cover sector advancements in science, health, welfare and sport and includes speakers from government ministers, leading vets and industry professionals. In equestrian industry news... British Equestrian has put welfare at the top of its agenda and launched a new independent advisory body composed of experts within equestrian sport to ensure that equestrianism and the sports under the control of the British Equestrian Federation member bodies operate in a safe and ethical environment. The Equine Welfare and Ethics Advisory Group, under the chairmanship of Professor Madeline Campbell, will work to provide evidence-based best practice, make recommendations on critical issues within equestrian sport, and develop guidance to promote an ethical horse-human relationship. The group's composition is representative of expert roles in sport, equine veterinary science and governance to ensure there is a balance of viewpoints and any recommendations are appropriate and workable. The appointed members of the group, aside from Maddie Campbell, include Jim Eyre, Roly Owers, John McEwan, Richard Waygood, Ian Graham, Sarah Phillips, Lynn Bailey and Winnie Murphy. And then on the 19th of January, the RCVS Council voted 20 to 3 in favour of the revised measures for the controversial undercare guidance and agreed that the new undercare guidance will be implemented no earlier than the 1st of June 2023 and no later than the 31st of December 2023, subject to the final review of those dates at the RCVS March meeting. They've requested that this intervening time be used to prepare additional case studies and advice to help veterinary professionals understand how the new undercare guidance should be followed within their own sectors. While the RCVS revised proposal claims to offer a more robust framework for the profession, it includes a change that will require vets to have facilities for 24-hour physical examination or premises visits available, even if they do not provide them themselves. Previous proposals had only required the provision of a follow-up service in the event that an animal's condition does not improve or it suffers an adverse reaction. The report said many of the concerns voiced stemmed from a worry that the changes would result in POMV medications being prescribed by veterinary surgeons with no facility to physically examine the animal or inspect the premises. This has the potential to compromise animal welfare as other veterinary surgeons who do have the facility and proximity to physically examine the animal and or inspect the premises would be under pressure to treat the animals in question when they may not have the capacity to do so. Whilst the Standards Committee agreed that the proposed guidance consulted upon did address this concern by making it a requirement to have 24-7 in-person follow-up care in instances where POMVs were prescribed remotely, it recognised that when embarking on a remote consultation, the veterinary surgeon does not always know what they will face. It added, while this represents a change to the draft guidance presented in the consultation, the committee decided that it can be justified. The proposed guidance argues that a physical examination may not be necessary in every case to enable safe treatment and prescription and the issue would be one of individual veterinary judgment depending on the circumstances. But it said a physical assessment would still be required when a notifiable disease is suspected and in all but exceptional circumstances when antimicrobials are prescribed to individual animals or groups of non-agricultural animals." Many opponents to the College's stance, including the BVA, have advocated adoption of the vet-client-patient relationship model with an appropriate long stop point of up to a year as a basic for future guidance. But the papers claim that they would go beyond the terms of the current veterinary medicines regulations, though a review consultation is expected to be launched imminently. The College also suggested its proposals offered a more robust framework for remote prescription decisions. The report said under the current guidance, once an animal is under a veterinary surgeon's care, there is no additional guidance on prescribing remotely and the fact is to be taken into account when deciding whether this is appropriate or not. By way of contrast, the proposed guidance not only gives a framework but also gives specific guidance on prescribing antimicrobials and controlled drugs which those applying pressure can be directed to should the veterinary surgeon feel it necessary. Beaver responded to the consultation back in September last year expressing similar concerns but describing the nuances of equine work which can be not dissimilar to that in the farm sector where yards of horses can sometimes warrant remote prescribing for an animal which hasn't been seen. But there is a VCR veterinary client relationship already in place so the vet will still need to know the client and the yard setup, but could be permitted to prescribe medication for horses that they haven't seen in the flesh. More than 2,700 professionals took part in a consultation on the proposals with the report indicating strong agreement with many of its key points. A survey of animal owners carried out by the polling organisation YouGov found 66% of respondents were either very or fairly comfortable with remote prescription. though The proportion was slightly lower for pet owners, 64%, than their equine counterparts, 72%. Fear of misdiagnosis was the main reason given by the respondents who declared themselves uncomfortable with the idea. The RCVS are urging vets to contact them with queries while further support materials are compiled in the coming months. The RCVS Mind Matters initiative has opened applications for the Sarah Brown Mental Health Research Grant, which was set up in the memory of Sarah Brown, a vet and RCVS counsellor who was a campaigner in mental health. The £20,000 grant was set up in 2019 and has provided funding for five innovative research projects, Past projects awarded money were based on compassion-focused therapy for vet self-criticism and perfectionism, neurodiversity, well-being among isolated farm vets, the impact of racism on mental health and the impact of moral injury on mental well-being. Previous winners have not only received the funding, but the chance to present their findings at key conferences, including the Mind Matters Initiative Symposium and support from the Mind Matters Initiative and RCVS to promote their study and recruit volunteers. Meanwhile, practice owners and managers have been urged to review budgets for energy bills again following the government announcement of a new programme of support that will offer discounts on both gas and electricity to non-domestic users for a further year from the beginning of April. However, the new programme is estimated to cost around £5.5 to deliver, which is less than the third of the projected £18 Of support being offered through the current winter season so practices need to consider these increased costs going forward which raises the question of the um, cost of living crisis and how it's affecting our clients with the dogs trust announcing that it has received nearly 50 percent more pet handover requests in the first 10 days of this year compared to the same period in 2022. The questions are will we see a similar effect on the horse industry Though some horse owners are probably sailing close to the wind financially, some might argue that it's a potentially lower percentage of the horse owner population compared to that of dog owners, but there may be a trend in owners declining more expensive treatments, cancelling horse insurance and cutting back on routine veterinary care, which is largely preventative, of course. So it's important that we find ways to increase efficiency within our practices to avoid escalating the impact on increasing cost to owners unnecessarily. Obviously, veterinary care has its costs, but there may be ways of managing the work, which maintains business profits without forcing prices up disproportionately, such as addressing inefficiencies in ambulatory work, reducing waste in clinics, making best use of staff and their skills, which leads us nicely onto the work Beaver is carrying out with regards to the role of nurses in equine practice. The new Beaver Nurse Committee has been busy exploring the current role of equine veterinary nurses and where there is potential for them to be better used, enabled more responsibility and better use of their clinical skills, where they can be allowed to better maintain a sense of value and challenge throughout their careers, which would all improve the retention issue that nurses are experiencing in their profession which could simultaneously perhaps help the retention issues we're experiencing in the veterinary surgeon profession. If nurses are able to increase their turnover for practices, then that should ultimately see nurse wages increase also. One thing is evident from the Beaver Council review meeting that we held in December – And what has happened since then? And that's that there's tremendous scope for nurses to work in ways that mutually benefit the professions and the industry, commercially and critically, equine welfare. It's a massive win win. So watch this space while Beaver works on the matter. Meanwhile, we have some new initiatives lined up this year to support career development for nurses. There are new practical and online CPD courses. Kickstarting starting this coming month with an online career discussion forum discussing the role of the nurse and how their skills, experience and knowledge can be better utilised, which takes place on Thursday the 9th of February at 6pm. So grab your dinner and a glass of wine and enjoy from the comfort of your own home or arrange a takeaway at the practice and stay back and have a social event whilst you watch the discussion forum online. You can count it all as CPD, don't forget. Then during the day on Thursday, the 9th of March, there's a practical course on setting up nurse-led weight management clinics at the Red Wings Centre in Oxhill, Banbury, led by the infectiously enthusiastic Nikki Jarvis. And then on Tuesday, the 18th of April, there's another evening event with an online course starting at 6.30pm, i.e. wine o'clock, on holistic care of surgical cases, pain scoring, physiotherapy and environmental enrichment. And then later in the year at Congress in September, we'll see presentation of the new Beaver Equine Nursing Award. And on the Saturday at Congress, there's going to be a dedicated nursing session, including a debate on the role of equine nurses and the interpretation of Schedule 3. And then if you haven't listened already, I've recorded three podcasts with members of the nurse committee, Looking at the career paths of Rosina Lillywhite, Cassie Woods, and the committee chair, Marie Rippingale, who all discuss their takes on the way nurses are currently utilised in equine practice, how we can improve this across the board to the benefit of all, and not least help solve some of our veterinary workforce issues at the coalface. They've each had very different career paths in their equine nursing um, professions, and it's really helpful to listen to some of that and get some inspiration for how things could be changed for the better. And talking of career paths, IVC has launched a £250,000 EMS bursary scheme. The move follows increasing concern in recent months about the cost and accessibility of EMS placements for many students. Officials said applicants demonstrating financial hardship will be prioritised for the bursaries and it's open to all students from third to final year who have a clinical EMS placement in an IVC practice that is either arranged or awaiting confirmation. They say many of our vets employed over the years have done EMS at our practice and finding the right practice is an excellent springboard to start a veterinary career. The initial application deadline is 14th of February and applications can be made via the IVC Evidencia website. And that leads us nicely onto CPD for February. So other CPD available in February, other than that we've mentioned with the nurses, of course, includes Fully Booked Fundamentals of Reproduction, the MAIR, which is on the 1st of February. Um, so sorry about that. You've missed the boat. And also Fully Booked is the Practical AI course, The Essentials, on Thursday, the 2nd of February. But on Wednesday, the 15th of February, we've got an online clinical catch-up at 8pm, another wine o'clock one, discussing foal diarrhoea. So sign up for that online. And finally, on Wednesday, the 22nd of February, there's another online course offering in the form of a transatlantic equine clinic on management of rhodococcus equi in foals, which also starts at 8pm. And then in podcasts, we've got uh, the EVJ and Conversation podcast channel, which if you don't listen to that and subscribe already, this month features three recordings from last year's Congress news sessions. Anna Maria Nagy delivers the news on imaging, and James Crabtree, that of reproduction, and Jamie Prutton discussing research and developments in medicine. So please do go ahead and listen to those. And Eve has also released a January podcast with Christian Byrne speaking to Yvette Nutlomas about her article on poor performance. And of course, finally, don't forget the Beaver Buddy app. Do go and download it from your usual app store. The idea is that the plethora of resources and news that we have on the website and provide through e-news and social media is all there in the palm of your hand anytime, anywhere. And you get to control the notifications you receive. So you can tailor those through the settings, meaning your communication with Beaver is as it should suit you. The app includes the new discussion forum where members could openly discuss anything clinical, social, work related or not, send private messages to other members, open their own discussion topics and communicate safely within closed groups such as those for students and nurses. We welcome your feedback on the app and please do send us your ideas for things you would like to see added or changed. This is your app remember. Thank you very much and enjoy your coming month. See you next time. This episode of BeaverPod was produced by Beaver. For more details on the benefits of your Beaver membership and the products and services offered, please go to our website at www.beaver.org.uk